A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to our podcast, Life After The Letters. I'm Amelie. And I'm Suba. We're friends that met whilst working our first shifts as junior doctors. And we're here to talk about the stories and challenges that we face every day. Hello, hello, Amelie. Hey, Suba, how you doing? I'm good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm actually tired now because we've been here for like a couple of hours. Yeah, yeah, we've just been like chatting and chilling. As in all the good content for the podcast has probably yeah. just been like Yeah, literally. So done. apologies if um, we're a bit subpar. But actually, we've got a really interesting thing to topic to talk about. But firstly, how was your day? My day was actually so good. So as you know, I'm on elderly medicine at the moment. Mm-hmm. And at first I was finding it super, super, super slow. Like every single ward ran very slow. But today I've been on day hospital. And essentially, I know Suba loves a one-stop shop. I do. But it's basically one-stop shop people who have been in hospital or looked after in the community so elderly people and they'll come in in the morning not expecting any time to go home Mm. they'll even have their lunch there you get to see them bloods get taken nurses are basically running the whole show Mm. and you just wait for their results to come back later and there's no Mm. pressure of time to see the patients and there's a real MDT approach, which is so useful in these kind of situations. Yeah, you so need it. So it's a good it. day. You need it, yeah. And I finished like two hours earlier than I expected, so... Mate, I was chilling. <laughs> chilling. Sounds great. How was your day? Um, yeah, it was a very zero to 100 kind of day, which I guess is the kind of days you have in A&E. And I was on recess today. So it was my first, like, proper recess shift that I've done. Is it? Yeah. I yeah, I've covered a few hours, like, here and there. Okay. Um, I did one day there where it was just that, like, I turned up to handover and the consultant was like, who's the recess doctor? And no one put their hand up and then they, like, pointed at me. Like, <laughs> as I walked in a few minutes late and was like, you're the recess doctor. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, but, yeah, it started off really interestingly, actually. Okay. So it started off with one of our nurses who's about 19 weeks pregnant. Oh. Um, we were just chatting about pregnancy and, like, oh my god how exciting and oh, she's gonna so cool. it's just such a fun conversation and how she's gonna find out the sex scene and oh that's cute this that and the other and then the only nurses were hilarious so we had a bit of a you know it was a bit of a quiet morning in recess as they tend to be i love that and then i'm just like spinning on that you know that little that chair. chair yeah <laughs> with no back <laughs> um and literally one of the nurses went and got the fast scan machine and we got her on the couch and they were like doctor no, doctor <laughs> they were like doctor doctor can you come and like can did we did just... you do an ultrasound mate it was the best thing i've ever done in my no! life I was literally scanning and I was so good. I'm a natural. Good thing that I think I want to do obs and gyne. That's wild. I was scanning and we could find the head. We saw the whole body. We found, <laughs> out, 
we found the heartbeat. We were watching the heartbeat. They were like recording it. Can I just say, these are the days that you live for in medicine? Yeah. Because actually, our job <laughs> can be so fun. Yeah. Oh, it warms so your dope. heart. It was like the one of the, probably the my best memory so far this year was just No, that's so cool. That's my best memory and it's not even mine. <laughs> Cause even when I was on Obs and Gynae, I never got to I never got to like ultrasound, image yeah. scan. I would do like the heartbeat. Yeah. But this was so fun. <laughs> and finding the heart. But you could do the heartbeat and, when you're a medical student, yeah, can't you? It's not that exciting. But li- like literally Aww. finding it and then it would move and we would all be like, oh my god, it's moving. Yeah. <laughs> and we all decided it was a boy. Based on absolutely no knowledge whatsoever, <laughs> um, and so we were like, okay, let us know how our skills were. She's gonna, Aww. she's gonna get back to us. So we'll see if we're right. Oh, that's so cute. It was such a fun little cute morning. Oh, because her next scan will be. Is it twenty? It's in then? like yeah, exactly. It's in like a week or two. So she's like, we'll find out. Oh, that's so dope. Yeah. Isn't it times like that that make you realise that you actually have some sort of skill? Yeah, that you've like learned something over the past yeah. eight years. You can recognise a baby on an ultrasound machine, and that is no simple feat. <laughs> or fetus. Hey, hey. That was a good. That was fun. good. That was good. That was a good fun. I nearly didn't say it. Could you tell? Yeah, yeah. I felt like you were kind of nervous to say it, but I'm glad you said it. Uh, you were you were preaching to the right that's audience good. here, as in by audience I mean myself. Yeah, just you, just you. Yeah. So so moving on to some more. A bit more of a grim topic, I suppose. Mm. But also a very realistic topic for what we do. Definitely. I mean, in uh, because of Mental Health Week, um, we wanted to touch on issues that affect doctors. And after following on from that um, incredible episode that we had, yeah. in that I absolutely enjoyed and loved making it. Yeah. And I hope you guys have enjoyed it too. But we were incredibly lucky to have our friend and colleague come on and talk about her her struggles with mental health mm-hmm. whilst working as a doctor and as yeah. a consequence of working as a doctor. Um, and it's really interesting that she brought it up, actually, because if you remember, there was one story she told and it reminded me of a similar story that one of our other friends who doesn't suffer with mental health problems per se, it reminds me of the topic that she spoke about. Mm-hmm. So basically, Muna, in our last episode, she talked about one scenario when a consultant came up to her and in a really lovely way mm-hmm. explained that actually... This is normal. These things happen. Um, don't feel so anxious about it. And you need to build up some sort of resilience or grit. Mm. Which, yes, is problematic. But it reminded me of this topic our friend told us when a consultant kind of just dissed her. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of a, a consultant who sort of, you know, had an opportunity mm-hmm. where you can kind of uh, teach, nurture. Teach yeah. and nurture someone. Teach and nurture a junior and try and kind of help them build that confidence and help mm-hmm. them feel that, you know, that reassurance. Sometimes you do need that from ex- externally, you need that bit of validation sometimes. Yeah. Particularly when you're starting off. So like in your F1 year, mm-hmm. you're a baby doctor, you've only just started. And actually a lot of these times we're only on these placements for four months. Mm-hmm. So when someone is really knocking your confidence or quizzing you so hard, even though they've been doing that specialty for tens and tens of years, yeah. and you've been doing it for just a couple of months, it really knocks your confidence because you just feel like, oh, I should have known that, I should do better, why am I even here, what am I doing? Yeah. And it really knocks our friend's confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And and also because um, I kind of wanted to touch on the fact that as you progress throughout your career as a doctor, unless mm. you're very blessed to have perhaps seniors that take a very active role in engaging you in learning, yeah. or you're an incredibly self-directed learner who really dedicates your time when you go home mm. to reading and things like that, your knowledge base does drop a little. It does drop. Mine's dropped massively. And it picks up when you start doing exams again and you mm-hmm, go back mm-hmm. into like a very um, specific training programme yeah. where, so you're trained to be registrar and things yeah. like that. Um, 
Have you noticed, actually, you know, whenever we have our teaching sessions for all the F2s, mm. whenever someone asks a medical question, it's always the people who've done their MRCP exams Absolutely. who just come with lists of things. And I'm just sitting there like, wait, why don't I know this? Yeah, yeah, but then yeah. I realise, nah, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. They've done their exams. They've just, just done their exams and they've literally just revised it. It's the same as like sometimes when I, you know, I was with a medical student today in, in <laughs> recess and my consultant was grilling us on hered- hereditary angioedema. <laughs> And the medical student was throwing out things like, oh, yeah, we should be doing C1 esterase. And I was just there like, don't ask me. Don't yeah. <laughs> I'm just there like, uh, shall we send a mass cell trip to him? I think that's a good thing to do. <laughs> and that's something that doesn't change practice no, whatsoever. No, 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 no. But do you know what I mean? That's just, it's just the way it goes. Interesting. Um, but no, what you were saying was the fact that our friend kind of had this experience in a, in a negative way mm-hmm. where a consultant kind of took a moment of of vulnerability mm-hmm. but use that to belittle her yes and use that to break break not break her but to kind of put her down mm-hmm. and um yeah regardless of whether that was intentional or not that's what he did and he needs yeah. to have more responsibility for looking after his juniors yeah and i think that brings us to our topic of burnout and that's what you wanted to talk about today yeah even when you think of the word burnout i it just brings you back to all the articles and yeah. um, all the conversations that we have all the time about why doctors are burnt out, why our job's so difficult. But actually, I think sometimes we never get to the like the grittiness of what burnout actually is and the what it means. The true definition. Mm-hmm. And also because burnout is such a buzzword sometimes that it gets thrown about like <laughs> willy-nilly and you're sort of left being like, okay, what exactly is the meaning of burnout? And yeah. we all can often take different things, different meanings from it. So burnout, I think the official uh, definition per se is a combination of three things, right? Yeah, so this is what we found from one of the studies. They classify it as being emotional exhaustion, depersonalisation and... uh, Help me out. And a lack of reduced personal accomplishment or... (laughs) Okay, like feeling like you've uh, done a good job. Yeah, exactly. Or that you're doing things that matter. I think uh, that's what they're kind of looking at there. Like almost a sense of um, like a, a reward, like a positive feedback loops, that kind of vibe of thing. Yeah, which I can so understand, actually. That does yeah, contribute completely. To that. Because actually, if you think about what the outcomes of our job, they're not so clear cut. And I suppose that's why the NHS is even like failing somewhat because there's no real outcomes. Outcomes aren't making money like major banks or retail. Yeah, it's actually just about making sure people stay healthy and stay well and have good well-being yeah. and are communicated with effectively. Yeah. They're very, like, bizarre kind of outcomes that we yeah. need to achieve. Yeah. And to think internally that you as a human being are giving that to people, unless you're quite arrogant, I don't think it's that easy to come by. So, I mean, that's... We're talking about definitions of burnout, and that's actually... The that's s- one of several. <laughs> that's one of several, because actually in our um, research, we've come across so many different... So many. You can even put them together like if no. you want to make a hypothesis for a research study or even just a survey to say how many doctors in our hospital are burnt out there's even one study that highlights this it looks at i think itu professionals mm. and it says um, for two different very different definitions of burnout either two percent or forty percent of the doctors experience burnout which is actually such a crazy a massive, discrepancy yeah that's a huge range isn't it and it makes you think what is the importance or what is the use of even having such broad definitions yeah because then you actually you can't what can you do with it yeah is mm-hmm. it becomes um irrelevant almost because actually 
you can identify a problem, but mm-hmm. if you can't then define it accurately, how can you then investigate the prevalence of it? How can you then work towards solutions and actually mm-hmm. see if there's any measurable change? Yeah. You can't. You can't. You, you can't, can't study it in a scientific manner. And I suppose that is the reason why you do research, mm-hmm. to essentially create a solution, don't we? Yeah, of course. If you can't make a tangible change from something, then almost it's like, oh, excellent, you know it's there. Yeah, I'm not going to give you the research grant for that. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. So I think we were going to talk about it from a couple of different perspectives. Yeah. So should we start with the personal factors that we were thinking about? So when we're looking at burnout and we're looking at the pressures that, that are at work to make people find less job satisfaction, we look at personal factors and also environmental or external factors. Yeah. So do you want to start with one of the personal factors and maybe we can take it from there? Yeah, and I, I mean, I kind of want to also say that with burnout, mm. we appreciate that... Um, a lot of people are experiencing high levels of job stress. Yes. But not everyone who has a similar level of job stress goes on to develop burnout. And when you say burnout, you mean that exhaustion and that yeah. difficulty with engaging with your job. Yeah, that yeah. sort of depersonalization where you just don't feel that connection anymore to what you're actually doing. Mm-hmm. And so on the topic of personal factors, it's... And probably this gets a lot more focused than it sometimes should, but maybe that's my personal opinion. But that comes from lots of different sides. So whether that's personal qualities such as people being a bit more of a perfectionist okay Um, what do you mean by that or can you give me an example i feel like actually even in our episode with muna we touched on things things like this where you have in amongst doctors Mm -hmm. and amongst medical school where you have a group (laughs) of ridiculously high achieving people Mm -hmm. and ridiculously high functioning people yeah um you will naturally find traits of perfectionism and i'm sorry but like you think about all of our colleagues yeah almost everyone will be to a degree, thinking about trying to be the best that they can be. And that's an excellent thing because that's where you strive and that's where you develop, you know, clinical excellence and you get people that are doing the best they can. Um, And that's excellent for patient outcomes. But And do you know what? The most embarrassing thing I ever find for myself is if I've not done a job properly. Exactly. Or if I've missed missed something really obvious, I just find, find it's embarrassing. Yeah. And that, that is a shame of the job that we do. But I suppose it's more, it's even more everyday than that and even more basic than that on some mm. levels because I've had lots of situations where I've missed something quite obvious, mm. where in hindsight maybe it's even more obvious to someone. But just the fact that I looked at a VBG when I was an F1 yeah. and that I couldn't recognise that patient had a diabetic ketoacidosis. Mm. Whereas now, if I saw that, I would know that straight exactly. away, particularly after working on A&E. But the fact that I didn't know what was going on with that patient, I, that was hard for me to deal with at the time. Yeah. And actually, because so many people were looking at it and then even went to the trust level to have a look at the case, yeah. it was quite... I found it an easy situation, not going to lie, to deal with. The reason I say that is because I didn't feel as though personally I acted wrongly in that situation. Yeah. But I do know from speaking to one of my like close friends at the hospital at the time, she'd found it very damaging to her sense of self yeah. as a doctor and how she continued to move about. So it really is about how the individual absorbs the exactly. situation. And this is what I wanted to say was that, you know, you were saying, OK, we all want to do a good job. We all want to do this. Yeah. But when we don't, how do we react to that? Because say, like you said, even in that scenario, you didn't feel like it knocked your sense of self. And I will agree with you as well, because even when there's do, been... Do you remember it when we were... I do it was the same time that you, I had a DKA patient, then you had a DKA patient. There, there, was, the a next lot of, there was like a Do you remember? DKA it was week. like, a, yeah, it was a knockoff yeah. effect. Um, yeah. And it's not because we're not the only players in the system. We've also got seniors that need to take responsibility as well. Yeah. So actually, sometimes that whole 
looking at the juniors and the F1s as the people who should do things right, that's completely unfair and completely wrong. Yeah. You need to start looking at their seniors and why their seniors aren't really well supporting them or yeah, making sure yeah, that yeah. things where's, are right. Where's the gaps there? The reason I didn't feel so bad that day is that my consultant saw the patient with me. Mm. I also got another reg to see mm. the patient with me. And then I also got another completely different reg to see the patient yeah. with me. And the fact that I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what, what it was. Yeah. Someone else could have taken the time just to open the notes and look at all the things mm. and put one and one together to me yeah. too. And on the topic of personal factors in that case that you spoke about, Emily, mm-hmm. um, what things were protective for you to stop you from having that as a, like you said, your colleague said that that would have really damaged her sense of self. And that's, you spoke about the things that, okay, that was because a lot of other people saw them, but also it's a sense of fact that you maybe have, we all have a, a degree of self-criticism, yeah, but yeah. that ability to for that self critiquing voice to shut off at a certain point. Yeah, for it not to go. Make mine shuts off real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna <laughs> say, I'm the same. I'm the same. As much as I'll have times where I would maybe do things that I think I could have done something more, I, and like you said, you you said something really important earlier where you said that you knew that you hadn't done anything wrong or you knew that you had done everything what? What, that you could and that you should and that I could have done in my power and in my knowledge of at yeah. that time and I'm not even talking about my lack of knowledge but no, what no. I knew at that yeah. time that's yeah. what I could have done and that's you having a sense of self-compassion and you having a sense of understanding of your own limitations and you mm-hmm. being able to almost step out of yourself and see yourself from someone else's shoes mm-hmm. that some people can't necessarily do or their brain doesn't necessarily or their cognitive their cognitive like cognitive Cog- wheels don't whir in that way yeah of course, you know of so course. they may more easily just replay and replay and replay error rather mm-hmm. than be able to be like, hold on, step out. If this was someone else, would I... Would I criticise yeah. them in the same way? And I suppose that's when we think... You know when you think of things like CBT yeah. or you think about the way people process things, it comes from a lifetime. It doesn't come from no. just a couple of years of med school yeah. or a couple of years of working a job. It comes from how did your parents speak to you as a child? Yeah. How did your teachers process who exactly. you were? Who encouraged you or who yeah. didn't encourage you? Your early were you friendships. bullied earlier? Yeah, yeah. Just things like that, that all will really affect who you are and the yeah. way that you process things. And that's the same reason that people from like upper classes probably are more resilient. And I say that in quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the workplace. Big quotation marks. Massive quotation marks. But that's probably why they're seen as more resilient in the workplace because actually they've got a self-confidence about them. Yeah. And there's several studies that look at the difference between poorer groups in society and rich groups in society. If you compare the two, it's but it says something about the ability to question. If you're someone yeah. from a rich part of society and you have the ability to question your teachers, um, that means that you have an inherent confidence in yourself yeah. and you're able to self-reflect and yeah. also... but in a way that's not critical, yeah. and also question other people yeah. and ask other seniors for help if you don't think your last senior was right. Yeah. And to ask someone, oh, what do they think about that situation without thinking that's going to bear negatively on who you are yeah. or whether you're a good doctor or a bad doctor. So I think so many things fall into this, yeah. but these are all learnable things and they're teachable things. So the system should start addressing those things yeah. rather than saying, you're a bad doctor, you're a good doctor, you need to suck it up. We're talking about deeper issues than that, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. And I mean, as much as that also comes from a system, sometimes, like, even us having conversations about these sorts of things mm-hmm. suddenly can make you s- sort of aware of your own cognitive processes. And oh, you're like, does, and then you're does. like, oh, yeah, hold on, actually, I think like that. <laughs> yeah. And oh. then you're like, oh, let me stop doing that. Yeah. But maybe not that easy. But <laughs> we, we start from somewhere. <laughs> Isn't it interesting what you were saying earlier, if you don't mind sharing, about mm. um, how you 
now may approach situations because of the fact we researched this stuff yeah. for the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even how earlier me and Amelie were talking about um, our job and how <laughs> bizarre it is sometimes. Um, and I was saying how actually there's a lot of things that you you experience at work and sometimes you you come home and then you like don't necessarily fully process and reflect on and think about and also because I'm a very much an external reflector so I need to talk through things Mm -hmm. so even doing our podcast and talking through these issues and researching them as well exactly and reading all these articles and interesting things and hearing other people's viewpoints on things Mm -hmm. has made me approach my job in such an interesting and different way it's an super, and in a richer way actually I think the experiences I have now are richer and it makes I'm happier like Mm -hmm. at my job and the things I do Mm -hmm. and I wish in a way sometimes that work encouraged reflective group practice more often yeah exactly and that actually makes me think about the house that we lived in in our first year together Mm. I think we were so lucky to all live together so there were four of us living in a house. Yeah. Um, three of you guys were from King's Med School. Yeah, yeah, we were. I was going to say, shout out to the old housemates. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was the only one from Manchester. But we all got on so well. Yeah. And we really encouraged each other. We did so much outside of medicine. Yeah. But we also just had the time to, like, chat through what happened during our days. Yeah. And it was really nice to have that understanding. Because, you know, when you have that understanding from, one, reading loads of articles and researching, like, even this show, but, two, you're able to sit down with people who get you and get your job, it's so important because you realise you're all going through the same struggles. Mm. And just that, like, camaraderie and that, like, understanding, it just makes you feel like, oh, I'm not alone in this. Yeah. It was basically... We'd come home and it would be a debrief session and someone With would be... cheese someone and would, wine. I was going to say, someone would be cooking something. There'd probably be a camembert in the oven. So someone would be cooking. I'd be the only one I was going to say, I was literally going to follow that up with, and by someone I mean Amalek. <laughs> <laughs> someone would be popping the wine and that would be Kyle. Kyle. And then Kyle would be ready to hug you. Like literally exactly. come to the door and you'd be getting hugged. She'd be, and then she would cry for you. Yeah, she would cry for you, with you and on you and, you know, you'd cry <laughs> her and it would just be this beautiful amalgamation of salty water. And then just as you get into the the juicy bits, Suber and Claire would go off and start talking about Harry Potter or something. Something like <laughs> Lord gonna, of the Rings. I don't know. No, I was going to say, the only sad thing is, I don't know what I actually contributed to this <laughs> to this quad. I think I would interject with the occasional humorous comment. Yeah, I think so. I think so. No, you Slash maybe I would just be the one that would be whinging the whole time. I don't know. No, no, that was all of us. All of us. We all <laughs> but it was great. Moments. We would rotate through the spotlight. And it was it was genuinely, it was a debrief set. You'd come home with something that was heavy on your shoulders. Mm. And at the end of it, you would feel acknowledged, you'd feel validated, you have some thinking points to go home, like go up to your room with and ruminate on and you would kind of feel a lot lighter and a lot freer. Yeah. yeah. Um, but on the topic otherwise of personal factors, another thing we want to talk about, which is going to be a, very, a lot more topical as we approach August yeah, 1st, 2018. Because, exactly, because in August... Um, as you all know, that's mm-hmm. the time when everyone changes over. And what we want to do is create a little series for yeah. the new... The new little f one, The new doctors yeah. to come. And um, so that'll be for the medical students. And I'm sure medical students, even before f before their they fifth start years, thinking about will be interested in just yeah. like hearing what it really is like. Yeah. Because actually, it's not about your knowledge. It's not about the medicine. It's really about how you get to grips with being the admin monkey for the hospital. And I mean, and the admin is fine, but it's it's this stuff, this stuff we're talking about yeah, that can weigh on you, this stuff around real. it. But we wanted to talk about um, preparedness, like for and from medical school. So, oh, can I take this from you? Okay. So, I'll hand over the baton. Thanks, thanks. Or the mic. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, there's this 
amazing, amazing article. And it's written by this amazing, amazing psychologist. So a lady called Caroline Elton. Mm. Google her. I think we even spoke about this on our last episode, right? Oh, we might have, actually. Yeah, but... Let me go... Yeah, exactly. So, I think... Sorry, I did, actually. So, Caroline Elton, as you may know from my previous episode, she writes a book called Also Human. It's about the life of doctors um, and also their minds and the way they work and how that is affected by so many factors. Mm. Anyway, one of the um, stories that she picks up on is about a medical student who needs to get something signed off. Mm. He goes and sees his consultant who is at an arrest call doing CPR, managing the, the resuscitation situation. And and he's on an A&E rotation, this medical he student. He is on an a, A&E rotation, but he's got something to get signed off. And whilst his consultant is sorting out that... Arrest. Arrest. He literally gets his piece of paper and weaves under his consultant's nose to say, please can you... Please, can you um, sign me off now? And as much as I empathise with that... That struggle. <laughs> yeah. When you just need your logbook signed off but and you've been actually... hounding this consultant for, like, <laughs> weeks and you're like, you know what? This is the last straw. There's a time and a place, but that and that is definitely not the time yeah, and yeah, place yeah. to do all but of that. But despite the, the emotions he was feeling, nah. You... Can you imagine, Suba, you're seeing someone organising a CPR call, you've got your rubbish little piece of paper and you're sh- shoving that under their face... There's better times, just wait if you need yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, they were discussing that case. The supervisor asked whether that was an appropriate way to act and shall I be worried about that medical student? And then Caroline Elton, she's like, <laughs> 100% you should be concerned yeah. because that is not the attitude that you need to have to work our job. No. But, that, but when you think back to the way why people chose to do medicine, it's not very specific reasons, is it now? No. And I mean, there's only a certain level of true appreciation and understanding you can have for medicine as a career before you begin and if i may go further go (laughs) thank you for your permission um not even medicine as a career but even specialties can we please speak about the number of people that you knew that at medical school were like i want to be a cardiothoracic surgeon i was gonna say cardiothoracic or neurosurgeon i want to be a neurosurgeon not even just surgeons i want to be um a renal physician i want to be a neurologist (laughs) i want to be a pediatrician (laughs) (laughs) that's me and four or five years later um as they transition from maybe third year medical student to f1 that flips or even as they've Wait, from, from f1 to f2 f1 to f2 that flips even f2 to core trainees core trainees that do what they do that are still kind of like nah. and that shows oh, how I suppose much the amount of people who, that we always meet on the gp training program who have, have changed gone from so what different fields or regs in like yeah. surgery or anesthetics yeah. and now they're and in... even even the other way i've met registrars yes. in other specialties that have been like i used to do gp training and it was just really not for me which goes to show actually sometimes that you can be so far into your career and still not really truly understand a lot of the specialties and what it really means to do those mm-hmm, those jobs mm-hmm. but kind of it, it reflects on the fact that how much does medical school prepare you to work as a doctor it may give you all the the facts the tools the knowledge the skills but, but you have does to re- it incorporate them mm. into the flesh and body of a doctor and I wonder whether it actually tells us what we can really expect from each of these specific careers. Sure, like it can tell you that cardiothoracics will give you like the esteem in society. Mm. But or, actually, the, or even the literal day-to-day job. Fine, you cut into people, you repair their valves, or you do heart transplants, or you do mm-hmm. this, that and the other. But it might not tell you the realities of being a consultant or the fact that yeah. it's such a bottleneck and that 
lots of people actually work as clinical fellows for several years yeah. before becoming consultants or don't become consultants at all. Yeah. Like, it doesn't tell you all of those things. And I think it's just that lack of understanding of what our job is or what our job can be that makes it so difficult to mm. do our job sometimes. Mm. Um, but shall we talk about environmental factors? Because actually, as much as I think burnout gets a mm. focus on the individual and the so-called resilience, again, <laughs> please see quotation marks, um, I actually think we have found during our research that there's a... And our, through our personal discussions, mm-hmm. a lot of environmental factors contribute more to burnout, and that's mm-hmm. talking about cultural factors within medicine, and that's talking about system factors within medicine. And it has to be environmental factors. Yeah. If you look at the burnout of physicians v the burnout of journal- journalists, for example, mm. they're going to be very different, and the only thing that changes is the type of environment these two groups of people work in rather than who the individuals are. Because actually we're an amalgamation of different individuals and we all have different backgrounds. Well, lots of us have very similar backgrounds, but a lot of us have very different backgrounds. Um, So it has to be the environment in which we work. And what's interesting is when you look at surveys... So I know surveys, as we discussed, are problematic because they look yeah. at various um, definition of burnout. But actually, if you're looking at the same survey that's run for several years, yeah, fine. such as the doctor's surveys and the ones done for GPs, yeah. you can see that the levels of, in quotation marks, <laughs> burnout um, has increased steadily um, over the past five or ten years now. But why is that? What's, what's, um, what is it in our environment that's... Put, like? really uh exposing us particularly as physicians Mm -mm. to being at risk of burning out that's so important for us to be aware of and to be conscious of so that we can a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And try and make allowances in our practice and in our yeah. day-to-day approach to work. And you don't want to go down the whole route of, like, the Sun and the Daily Mail being like, look at these millennials only wanting avocados and, like, <laughs> money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, because that's not true. It's no, just that I think, no, we're, no, no. I think we're just more aware, more conscious of the things that do affect us I think on a societal level. I will say that, and I think this is something we should be so proud of and so... Um, 
like so happy about we are unapologetic in wanting to have a certain quality of life tell him soldier boy <laughs> because and that's a great thing because you know what that is going to advance our society and advance our profession massively and also that's a world that matters isn't it yeah we should why are we striving to live in a struggle i know for real for real though i am striving to get a mortgage and that is stressing me out so i'm not i'm not entirely (laughs) sure (laughs) no but should we go on to the first environmental factor i thought one of the most interesting things was the isolation of doctors and how that Mm -hmm. can also cause burnout how so how so? So we start if we start from medical school um, in your final year when you're actually trying to figure out what job you're going to go into. So obviously throughout all those years, you're all working very hard to mm-hmm. get the degree because it's no easy feat no. to get the degree no. at, the, at the end. And you're not only trying to get a degree, you're trying to do, score as best as you can yeah. so that your scores do well. And, yeah, exactly. and also you're trying to like maintain your external curriculum, like, you know, trying to have yeah. a social life. Like DJ Khaled, you're trying to win. Yeah. You're trying to win against yeah, your yeah. whole entire cohort. And the other funny thing is that you don't have any guarantee on exactly where you're going to work after you finish med school. And sorry, Dad, because my dad is super academic and he just does research project after research project. Mm-hmm. But I just knew that, okay, I haven't done academically brilliantly, mm. um, but I have got my extracurriculars mm-hmm. and I have got my master's degree mm-hmm. and I know I'm going to do well in my SJT and that allowed me to get into London. Mm-hmm. But you have to have something about your points yeah. to allow you to get into the London deanery because that's where I wanted to go. Yeah. But actually the percentages of people who don't get into London, it's difficult to deal with, especially if all your family live down there and you yeah. always dreamed of getting into London yeah, or wherever the places yeah. that you want to be. I was going to say, actually... A stories I'd heard shaped my choices. Oh, really? So for me, you know, I'm London born, bred, everything. Last 25 years of my life, I've been... Everything. North London, <laughs> North Weezy. Represent. <laughs> Literally 25 years in this place. I love it. Don't get me wrong. Hmm. But I actually, for foundation years, was so close to leaving. Really? Because I just wanted a new experience. And I was like, it's two years. It's the best time to go away if you're going to go away and just mm. try, try, live somewhere else. Also, you yeah. had that experience when you studied in Manchester. Of course. Of course. And I really wanted that. Um, and also, you know how that you get that London's for a state... London... Was it London State of Mind? Like, Mate, Empire, I don't know how you said uni in London, to be It's honest. like Empire State of Mind, but London State of Mind. Did you even have money in London? I stayed at home, remember? Oh, yeah, you did. Oh, so, I managed. so, yes, you had money. Yes, I did. Uh, but you get that London state of mind where you just think the world begins and ends, out, you know, with the M25. Yeah. And that is just not the way to live. It's but, not, it's um, not. but, anyways, I mean, for me, I had a bit of a, I say horror story, but maybe just a reality of what it's like sometimes with some people. Okay. From, um, you know, a close family member who did their foundation years far away from home in a sort of small town. Um, had moved out there, was quite isolated, mm-hmm. found the job very stressful, felt very alone in what they were doing, didn't necessarily maybe make connections with people around them. And that negatively impacted their experience of foundation is so much that they ended up dropping out of it, mm-hmm. taking time to do other things. They did return to medicine. Yeah. But oh, that, wow. yeah, that experience really, I remembered that. And I remember thinking, you know what? So what was the change in London for you that made you feel like you could be comfortable here? For me, it was that, you know what, if I start working and I, I completely and truly acknowledge that as much as I, and I loved medicine yeah. at medical school and I was really excited to start mm-hmm. working. But for me, I was thinking I might start this job and it might be, 
completely different to what I expected. When I start working, I might hate it. I might, did you think that was possible? That you I might, did. Really? I absolutely believed that I could... Because I'd seen people that had gone through that. So I could appreciate, like, who am I to think I'm some sort of superhuman that's going to just do it and love it and it's going to be everything I thought it was. I, I anticipated that I could start working and it may not be what I thought it was going to be and I may not enjoy it and I might not meet anyone that I was going to get on with, you know, at our F1 hospital, that I might feel isolated and lonely and for me the saving grace was that you know what even if that's the case worst comes to worst I'm 30 minutes away from home Mm -hmm. I come back to my parents I come back to my friends I come back to my life that fulfills and enriches like enriches me so essentially you knew that you would have some protective factors to prevent you from like going down the rabbit hole whereas I anticipated that say if I were to up and move to I don't know Manchester well, I was, gonna, I was gonna go all the way out, mate. Scotland, Edinburgh. If <laughs> the I Hebrides, as everyone says. Out to Hebrides. No, but imagine if I ended up somewhere and actually, now I was like, actually, I don't really like work that much, and it's stressful. And actually, I come home and I don't have anyone there, or I don't have very close friends I can open up to. Mm. That sucks, and I didn't yeah. want to leave myself unprotected in that position and feel like the only route I had out was to leave like leave leave even if you had to leave obviously that's what you've got to do but for me I had the luxury of being able to be like to dictate my location choices because I had done quite well I had done quite quite evenly academically and then the SGT and things like that and I had some curriculars and things like that so I thought fine I'm gonna make a choice to stay near home can I say what I actually find like there's one thing I find difficult to reconcile with medics actually the fact that we have such a good job and that we're actually very privileged, but actually a lot of our conversations and our considerations about our job are how hard we're going to find it. I find it sometimes mm. quite difficult because mm. that's just never been my... That's literally never been my perception yeah. about the job. Yeah. But I recognise that in your personality, you're very good at being able to not experience something, but you really have um, an amazing ability to, like really empathise with things even if you've not experienced them because I feel like we discussed this at some point in F1 as well whereas Maybe I was... we discussed it 10 minutes before the show started but also no we've spoken about this ages ago as well where okay. I've said to you that I actually can't do that <gasps> oh my gosh I remember and you were like who are you but I can't do that I have to and I remember speaking about this even because when... I found it so weird because I know that you're very emotionally intelligent yeah so I wondered why you couldn't see things from outside of your perspective I have a gap there which I can't always necessarily bridge I try to but I can't I don't know I just think I don't have that innate but I'm not saying that's a good thing or, or a bad, bad thing, thing. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No. but in that way that I have to I can I can like really try and relate and I can be sympathetic but true empathy for me I have to have experienced it on some level that I can relate to mm. so for me like working as a doctor was something that was kind of like it felt almost unreal it felt almost like a um like someone could tell me about it and explain it to me but until you're actually doing all you know the realities of the job precisely right? Precisely. And for me, that's why... It's not that I had a fear. It's not that I had an anxiety about working it. Yeah. But doing the job and then being like, oh my God, I'm going to hate it. But it's more that I just anticipated that I may. And I'd rather have these protective factors. Interesting. But Useful. what we wanted to say was actually say we both had an ability to kind of influence our decisions of, of F1. Mm-hmm. Um, and they came from different ways, but we had that ability. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because I never actually wanted to do medicine really and truly. Mm. Um, and I think our stories are quite different, actually, with yeah. the way we came into medicine. So at AS level and A level, I did the right subjects. So I did maths, biology, chemistry and government and politics. And I did 
both of them to AS and both to A level. So I could have actually gone into like lots of different directions. Mm. And then I had dreams of being an architect and then being in like an events planner and just like bizarre, bizarre things that I actually still wouldn't even mind to this day. Um, and then I was like, I enjoyed being, I did head of prom committee and then I did all these like random little things, science society, debating yeah. society. And then I went to med school and I absolutely loved doing my run club. That was like, that was a defining yeah. feature of my med school experience. Amelie spent about 10 minutes the other day just making me look at her run club Instagram And how shots. big it was. She was like, look at this, look at this. And I was like, okay. I was like, okay. look, we had 80 people per week come to the run club. <laughs> and she was like taking me through each of their runs. I was like, okay, this is too much. And I was like, look how diverse we are. This is we- like, you know when you meet someone and they tell you they have a baby and then they whip out their phone and start yeah. showing you photos of their baby being a baby. Mate, the run club was my baby. <laughs> that was Amelie. I feel like, you know, that old actress who's like talking about her like her days her heydays yeah. yeah like look at me being glamorous I, at the Oscars I was popping I was cute yeah <laughs> and now who am I now I'm a washed up old hag no oh that was that was rude <laughs> that was rude sorry it kind of went a bit deep I didn't that mean it, was it. it was, I didn't mean it so aggressively I wish you knew that Sue actually looked at me when she said the word hag <laughs> my gosh Amelie's on the what yeah, were we even no. talking about Sue? yeah sorry back to me not Back to environmental factors, okay? Yeah. No, we were talking about the fact that we had the ability to influence where we chose location-wise, but not everyone has that privilege. Um, And those that are perhaps not so, you know, haven't scored so great or, you know, didn't manage to... And you can score not so great for so many reasons. Like the SJTs, even though I said I knew what I was doing with it, I could have easily just not done very well at all. Absolutely. Um, Or even with your FPAS scores, you know, because that's an amalgamation of so many things throughout the years. Yeah. Um, But more importantly, what that means is that, say, some people don't get to choose their protective factors Mm -hmm. and make sure that they have conscious choices and they do end up in the in the position of say my family friend that I spoke about where mm-hmm. you can end up in a place where actually you don't really necessarily want to yeah. go to this small town and you don't have those protective things that keep you content and happy or outside conversely, of life conversely you can be in a hospital not offering the placements that you wanted to offer mm. or you can be in different hospitals which have completely different cultures and everyone knows that you've got hospitals that are dghs and more family and orientated and yeah. i mean family um, in t- when I say family, I mean that in terms of the doctors working there, where you feel like the consultants are there looking out for you, yeah. the CMTs are the people you can go to for advice, that you can easily access the MedReg, yeah. whereas in some city hospitals, actually people have the opposite experience, where they are taking on a lot of burden and yeah. don't know who to ask for help. So actually, all those different factors might be useful for one type of person, but it's yeah. very difficult to influence whatever job you were going to go to. So just to give that more context, actually for our deanery, I think, how many jobs did we rank? Do you remember? Oh God, so many. Was it about 300 and... Oh, it was an 380, probably, probably. Whatever, it was like just under 400 jobs that we had to rank. So like, after I'd listed all my paediatric jobs, so maybe that was like, (laughs) what, 20 jobs, Hmm. I just kind of just like, randomly shuffled through the rest. And then I put Luton right at the bottom because I didn't want to go to Luton. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But well, I had a mate, really... I probably got like two, my two hundredth job. I had such a strategic approach to it. Did you? I was on some next level here. I was actually like, I wanted to be at DGHs. I didn't want to go Central London for the reasons you just described. But you were also in Central London for your university. Yeah, true. But also that I didn't want to be at a tertiary centre where that you know there's that there's that and we kind of touched on depersonalisation, right? I feel like at a tertiary centre you are depersonalised. And maybe maybe I'm wrong, and maybe our viewers that are working at, or I say our viewers, our listeners that are working at um, tertiary centres, like, please chime in and correct me. 
I perceived... I'll correct you, I'll correct you. <laughs> I perceived tertiary centres to be more sort of... Um, like high-flying environments where maybe there's more egos. You've got people that are like really aspiring for excellence, but maybe in a sort of cutthroat and it's like a dog-eat-dog kind of vibe. It depends how you perceive that though, doesn't it? But that was my perception, whereas I perceive DGHs as being like really friendly, really approachable. People that are just a bit more chilled out, people are just a bit more... And it's a smaller community. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes you've got, you know, smaller hospitals where you have people that you kind of know everyone in the Mm -hmm. hospital by the time you've done like half a year there and that really appealed to me and I suppose that brings us to think about I suppose that brings us to think a bit more clearly about the cultures that can be created within hospitals Mm. and I know we talk about culture all the time but it's probably the most important thing and the thing that can be completely changed by the trust if they decide now that okay do you know what we're going to do we're going to support our juniors yeah. we're going to make sure that there are so so many like yeah. senior staff around at yeah, the time yeah. we're going to make sure that the junior as soon as they come on their first day on the wards we're going to introduce them to every single member of the nursing staff yeah every yeah. single member of the mdt yeah that will make a complete difference to how you're perceived how much you enjoy that job because yeah. actually it's really difficult sometimes for only look we change jobs all the time mm. Like, the whole of our training is about change. Four months, you're on one placement. Yeah. Um, in two years' time, you're going to choose another completely different job in a completely yeah. different area and go through yeah. an interview process for that. You're going to stay on that job for about a year. You're going to be switched over to another hospital. Every year you move hospitals. But the only time that you're going to know about the next job is maybe two months before yeah. the end of your current job. Yeah. So actually, that constant sense of not having control over your job it's a very difficult place to be in, isn't mm. it, sometimes? Mm. But also with culture, how mm-hmm. you were talking about introducing someone by their name, that personalisation of you. You're not just Doc, you're Amelie, you're yeah. Suba. And I, I know that over time you develop those relationships, but also you're working in busy environments where people are working shift patterns. Mm. You might see some of your nursing colleagues or some of your you know, medical colleagues for a few days and you don't see them for months afterwards because you're all in different shifts mm-hmm. and you know we all had that where sometimes there's been maybe a, a colleague of yours that you see all the time and actually you speak to all the time and you kind of get to like two months down the line where you're like I actually don't even know your name yeah and it's like <laughs> whoa and you're and you're looking scrambling to like so they don't even tell that your to eyes look are at looking their at their badge. badge yeah to be like is that Sam or is that you know like who, who is that person yeah. and I've actually one like in a jokes way confronted nurses about this where we've had proper relationships and like, you know you get on you crack drinks all the time yeah and then they're one trying day, to invite you out for drinks and you're like what one day you turn around and you look at them and you're like do you, do you know my name and literally this nurse was like to me now I haven't got a clue doc <laughs> <laughs> and I was like it's super by the way hey nice to meet you <laughs> and we've been working together for two months and we see that's each other all funny, the time and so we funny. like we you know we troll each other and it's great but that's an example of it but like you said with culture I kind of want to challenge you a little oh, bit. Oh, go, go, go. You said that it should come from our seniors and our, and our... And it should. It should be led by them. And that's the importance of clinical leadership and governance within medical fields. But can I also say that... Go on. It's... We create a culture. We are the culture. Fifth, like, ten of us as F2s, F1s, how we behave amongst each other will set a tone for how we expect to be behave towards almost and whilst that's great if that's led from a senior and I think this is what's amazing about millennials Mm. we are creating culture change by changing ourselves we're not conforming to the culture that came before us we are speaking up and we are saying hey I don't feel supported or hey um 
I'm not working in this crazy manner. I want this and I want that. Mm. And sometimes it's difficult because you are doing that within an environment that's set up in a certain way. And that's where you need that clinical support and that, I mean, sorry, that senior support and that senior leadership to make you feel like, okay, you can say those things and you can challenge ideas that have been there for ages. But culture, I think, is a... It's all of us. You think it's more fluid and Yeah, it's all of us. We're all in it together. Can I disagree? Okay. (laughs) All right, go on, go on. And the only reason I disagree is because I think if you look at various systems, and the only reason I think about this is because, like, I've been eavesdropping, like, my family conversations when all the Nigerian adults get around a table and talking about the corruption in Nigeria and what's going on. I think every ethnic family has that conversation. conversation. Yeah, yeah. But I think we can't expect our... We can't expect... Hold on, let me start that again. I think a system can only change when your leaders decide to be greater than the system. So when you're looking at a system, the people who have the power are those who are able to influence culture. So what I mean by culture is Mm -hmm. how people react to each other. Mm -hmm. Also, whether you've decided to introduce your juniors to certain members Mm -hmm. of staff because you have the privilege of doing that as a senior consultant. Mm -hmm. And whether you decide to create a rotor that works for the juniors Mm -hmm. you can only do that really as a senior consultant yeah and whether you decide that actually your juniors have protected lunch breaks you can only do that as the trust Mm -hmm. you can shout and ask for that from within the junior cohort and I think it is important that we start to band together and like ask for collective ask for collective desires yeah but actually Unless our leaders are receptive to those. Of course. And to be honest, they can be receptive for several reasons, whether it's to save face or whether it's because they truly believe it. But I think you really, really need the leadership to... To take a to take a step in the right direction. But then can we talk about, say... Okay, so issues issues within medical culture that affect things like burnout or things, you know, things like the whole conspiracy of silence where... You may be feeling a certain way, thinking a certain thing, you know, but that's not, why I think that's but co- not speaking up. That's but that's also up. culture. But you can we also at- talk about the fact that say, okay, as much as I agree that your seniors can say to you, like, because I too, want you not, to be able to come to me. I want you to come and talk. Can about I say this. it's not just about you as an individual; it's about your trust culture. So yeah. the trust culture also yeah. comes from the fact that our datex is a dirty word. Yeah. Is it easy to like quickly write a datex, or is it a really long winded form? Yeah, that's your only yeah. your. Yeah. system that can affect those effect, things. affect those things so in the instance of culture here though if i want to talk about more say you make a mistake mm. you feeling like you can come forth and say that without there being negative repercussions directed and targeted at you as an individual mm-hmm. that's a culture where there's that conspiracy of silence like we spoke okay. about um and that's something that say your seniors can turn around to you and say look i want you guys to talk about it i want you to feel free to come forward and mm. admit mistakes which i would say in my experience, our seniors do say. That's also because we've also been in hospitals that have had special measures put on them, I think. And they're very, very receptive to And the accepting. only reason that you're receptive is because your culture has decided to now become receptive to it. True. That's what I'm talking yeah. about it. Yeah. As in, it's a really well-studied, well-researched mm. thing. I completely get what you're saying, and I think yeah. it's important for us to have like individual power yeah. and individual sense of self. But actually, it's very difficult to... Like mobilize within a system if it's not receptive for mobilization. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe so those two maybe, things have to work. I think we're probably saying the same thing. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe I should rephrase what I was saying because maybe more what I'm trying to say, um, and I didn't articulate it as no, no, clearly. No, 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 no. Is perhaps more that I hope, and I think we do, and I hope we continue to 
is for us to engage with our leaders yeah. in order to facilitate culture change. Yeah, because we are the next future leaders. I yeah. think that's what you're trying, I am trying to say. Because I'm trying to say that it trickles down to us and yeah. then we will form the basis of culture for our juniors in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's where that importance needs to come so that yeah. when we become leaders, we can have... Totally. Like really... A, a focused leadership yeah there. because you've got new perspectives don't we it's like yeah. you know all the people who are running the um what's her name emma for change you know that girl and um, with the gun stuff in america mm. you see like her or you see like amika george who does the, all the um she did the period poverty tax thing in the yeah. uk those are the new leaders the people who are spotting the problems in society yeah and if they weren't to make some changes yeah there's no way the nra would be talking about gun crime right now. Yeah. Um, and there's no way that actually there'd be, like, a period poverty tax in yeah. the UK. But it's just because of those new leaders and we have to kind of follow yeah. the example and start making shifts and changes, don't we? And it's our generation and it's doctors at our level and our grades and, you know, around our grades. Yeah, and that's probably been the same for years, hasn't it? Yeah, that need to kind of engage with this kind of stuff more mm-hmm. and, and talk about this stuff more so that we can... And I think we do, and it's not that I think that there's a gap there, but I think we need to continue to do that and do that more. Yeah, yeah. Because we are maybe at a bit of a wonderful time where our senior is a bit more responsive to those things. Mm. Cool. I like that. I like that. Mm. Um, and finally, just before we end, I thought mm. it'd be cool to go through some of the solutions that we were talking about, mm. the solutions to burnout. Mm. Because as you've already said, um, I've already said a couple of times, mm. everyone keeps looking at individuals. Everyone yeah. keeps looking at resilience. Grit. Grit. We need to start looking at the system. Yeah. And how is the system making doctors' well-being a priority and a measure mm-hmm. for patient outcomes? Do you and think patient it should care? be a measure? I think, I think in some senses, because actually, your doctors, like the abilities of your doctor, your doctors or your healthcare staff, let's say healthcare teams as, as a as a whole, and patient safety and patient outcomes are intrinsically and irrevocably linked. You're right. You're right. And. How can you have, like, doctors that are unwell, that aren't engaged, that aren't enthusiastic, that aren't feeling a sense of personal accomplishment, treating, like, as human beings, treating other human beings and trying to do the best they can? Mm. And that reminds me of that meme slash thing that was going out on Twitter. I love a meme. (laughs) Side note. Um, But it said, the light is broken, but I still work. Yeah. And that that is such a clear image for burnout, isn't it just? Yeah. And it was actually about a vending machine, but I so <laughs> identify with it because that's isn't that you kind of feel like that, isn't it? Like insert presenting complaint, take diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Like that's what you become reduced to. But you're a human being, you're trying to connect with this person, yeah. you're trying to like understand them within the context of their life, within the context of their illness. And do you know what I was just thinking about when you just said that, that whole oh. insert presenting complaint. Maybe that's why GPs also have the highest levels of burnout. Imagine having 10 minutes with all your patients with all these problems Mm, mm. and you've just got to make stuff work. You need to send them home with Mm. things that aren't going to kill them. Mm, mm, You mm. need to, like, find out what their issue is. You need to quickly send them on their two-week pathway. You need to take this problem seriously. You need to let this person have their shoulders cry on. All within 10 minutes. Everything's everything's so protocol-driven and protocoled and it's like, okay, where do you fit? Where do you fit on this pathway? What do you... Which criteria do you meet? Okay, you don't hit that criteria. Okay, you know, you need to come back. Or it's, it's Someone says to you, oh, doctor, I've got this. And then they're like, oh, I've also got this. And you're like, oh, no, no, that's another 10 minutes. That's another 10 minutes that I don't have. And that's a shame. And also with GPs, can we talk about the fact that um, 
they are so rushed with time. They document as they go. They're typing with one hand. They're prescribing with the other hand. They're listening to you with one ear. Their foot's probably doing your blood pressure. Like, no wonder that it's stressful. You feel like you are literally a performing monkey and you've got to perform, perform, perform. Yeah. Can I say something before we round this conversation out? Mm -hmm. So I was at church this Sunday. um, Still looking for Christian Bay, by the way. Just shout out. Because <laughs> Bumble ain't working. <laughs> if you're out there, <laughs> give me a call. <laughs> so I was at church this weekend. Um, and basically I was having this conversation with um, one of my like family friends at church. And she said something about how GPs kind of like know nothing. And she said that she was really perturbed when a GP Googled um, one of the conditions she was talking about. And I was thinking, hold on, if I had 10 minutes and I didn't know what a spagalian hernia was, mm. I would have Tell to them. Google that in front of the patient because you don't have time to be coy and, like, Google it in secret pretending yeah. to do something else. Yeah. You've just got to Google it straight away. And actually, Googling it isn't a problem. A spagalian hernia... How often, they, how often are you seeing a spagalian mate, hernia? If that patient presented it to me and said, actually, you know, I've got a left weakness, left iliac fossa weakness of the abdominal wall, um, and this has been going on for some time, and then I have pain at certain periods. That's very different to tell me you've got spagalian, humia, um, spagalian hernia. Mm. I just need to know what that's doing to what you. That, what that means? Not just the word. Yeah. So I was just really feeling for that GP who she thinks is rubbish. Yeah. Um. And that's a difficult place to be when you've yeah. studied for so long and you do know what you're talking about. And you're an excellent doctor that has so much skill yeah. and so much expertise in so many things, which is no mean feat. And you're sitting here with your patient that you're trying to manage for mm. and you kind of feel like they don't respect you or don't value you yeah, or don't appreciate what you're doing. It's not easy at all. Yeah. Like, I had a patient with a spagalian hernia today. And I, I know what spagalian hernia is, but I forgot exactly what it meant or where it was mm. today. Um, and just the fact that I could allow my patient to leave the room, somehow gloss over the fact that I knew what I was talking about, quickly Google it and like be like, phew. And refresh your fine. memory. And refresh my memory. That was so useful. Yeah. But am I patient had respect and um, she had trust in me and she respected what I was saying and we actually got on so well yeah I went to go and have a chat with her afterwards yeah that was such a different experience to what that other doctor may have yeah. had with that other patient but it's difficult on both sides isn't it's it hard. It's, it's hard. hard it's hard it's hard and you get that you know we were talking about that um personal sense of accomplishment you have that at the end when yeah. someone then turns around to you at the end of the conversation and sort of looks really satisfied and says to you thanks so much doctor like, yeah and she said you're so nice love yeah and you have that, and it's a shame because, isn't it, with GPs, they're sort of like the patient kind of wants to sit and talk for longer, and they've kind of to kind of jostle them out yeah. in the nicest way possible. Do you know what's hilarious, actually? You know, when people say um, hospital doctors are specialists and GPs are generalists, yeah, sure, and some what they mean on like on the cosmic sense of the word, but actually, when you're looking at um, hospital doctors in specialist clinics, a lot of the times they might just be the F two like me, and you have no idea that I'm not a specialist. Yeah, I don't know. I've only been working care of the elderly for two months. Mm. Whereas the GP knows care of the elderly like the back of their hand because they look yeah. after patients in the community. But the difference is that GP has 10 minutes with you and I and have an got, hour. You've got however long you want. Mate. I have an hour you've from 9 o'clock or even from 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock today I had with these patients. Yeah. And that's the difference. And that is the difference. That's the difference. But it can really play havoc on how you feel about yourself yeah. and how your patients perceive you. Yeah. Which ain't easy. You're a human being too. No. Big up Caroline Elton, check out her book. Yeah. Now, can I eat some of your mum's fish curry? Yeah, we've got some fish curry cooking downstairs, so that's us wrapping up. (laughs) Catch you guys in the next episode, and thanks for listening.
Yes. And as always, leave us a review yeah. and follow us on Instagram. That's where we have most of our conversations. I yeah. promise you we will create a Twitter, but actually it probably be more likely that we do that after we finish our current jobs. Yeah. So in about two months time and then we'll contact the interns then. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening. Keep interacting with us. We love it. We yeah. read all our messages. Yeah, please um, message us about anything that you thought was interesting from this topic and let us know your thoughts. Exactly. Bye. Bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.